Hello, Pudding people, and welcome to yet another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. Here today are your hosts. person across from the table from me here is Mr. Ken Seymour. Hello, everybody. Uh, I, of course, am Mr. Richard Geiger. And we are here today to discuss another round of comic book movies. But what is a comic book movie? Well, I'm I'm so glad you asked, oh. Mr. Richard. Uh, as always, we will recap our definition so as to not lose anybody and to bore everybody that has already heard this particular definition. But we'll do it quickly. A comic book movie is a movie that is based upon a comic book, and it was in comic book form before it was any other form of video or audio media. Now, it can have been a book before it was a comic book, just so long as it was a comic before it was a movie. This can include instances where a movie and a comic book were produced simultaneously, but the comic was released before the movie was. But it will not release or will not include instances where any form of TV or radio or anything happened first. So things like G.I. Joe, which was a cartoon before it was a comic book. Sad face. Will not be included. Now, there are some exceptions, but we're not going to go through all of that just to uh, limit the the minutiae at the beginning of the episode. And we'll just kind of dive straight into it. So, mm-hmm. Richard, are you feeling better? I'm feeling <clears throat> much better. Excellent. Because, much better. Because you, you sounded much more feminine in the previous episode. I, I thought there was something wrong. Just had a little something in my, in my throat. <laughs> so we, we are back to the dynamic duo in, in this particular episode. We got all the way to 1990, uh, 1992 is where we finished up on the, on the last set. So we're going to start in 1993. Do you have any memories of 93 in comic book movies? Uh, no, but I do remember recording uh, the podcast about the other ones. <laughs> we haven't talked about that. They, they aren't aware that we had a first try through this before we had all the kinks out. Yeah, you know. Uh, as if we have all the kinks out now. But more kinks out now than there were before. 1993. Oh, hard to remember. Now, in our previous uh, go-through on 93, we, we were missing a few of the entries that were in here. There are actually four comic book movies made in 1993. Instead of going in a chronological order, why don't we start with the stuff that nobody saw first and that you can't find much information on. In fact, I had a very difficult time finding information on these particular units. And then we will kind of round out with the one that people would know most. How's that sound? Sounds good. They'll know it, but... They may not want to. Yes. Um, Okay, so we're going to start with a movie in 1993. Now, this is a direct-to-video movie. It never hit theaters. It never hit TV. It went straight to video cassette. Now, children, a video cassette is where they put movies on things like scotch tape. It looks like really dark scotch tape. And then they would put these reels of scotch tape in plastic pieces that would go in bigger plastic pieces that at one point took a good section of your video cabinet next to the television. And it sometimes would wear out after you watched it for a few times. So you would get these little snowy things that would appear in the middle of the screen. You get streaks that would happen at the edges and the tape would break. And somebody in the family had to be relegated to be the person that had to fix the tape. Mm. That was me. That was, that was great. I just had uh, 
So my VHS player, now bonus points if we can say what VHS actually stands for. Hmm. Very high sadness. I'll go with it. <laughs> that or Betamax. Uh, yeah, well, you know. But the uh, the heads on the uh, player would either get dirty or they'd get worn out. So what would happen on mine is that the, the tapes would be in good shape, but you'd be watching it and they'd have like a red, I had like a red hue across a certain part of the screen. Yeah. And that was because the, uh, the heads that were reading all the tape were starting to wear out on it. Oh, fun memories. Uh, the days of VHS and Nintendo. So anyway, the reason I, I talk about the VHS so heavily is the very first movie, Hard Case, in 1993, which incidentally was based upon a comic book uh, published by Malibu Comics. Uh, Jim Callahan uh, and James D. Hudnall were the individuals that created this particular book. Um, it was actually released with the comic. To my memory, this was the only way you could get it. You couldn't go to uh, one of the video stores nearby and rent it. You had to buy the comic book, and the tape came with the comic book. I never purchased it, so I never saw it. I believe that there was probably a full video version of it, because it's not a long film. It's like about a half an hour um, in length uh, out there. So I'm sure you can find it. And I have a feeling that it's extraordinarily not low quality. I don't want to be so crass as to say such a thing, but I, w I would say that it's probably not up to industry standards uh, of what you would expect from a high-budget film. <laughs> Somebody had a, a VHS recorder that they uh, threw on their shoulder and said, hard case, go. Now, for those of you that are mildly interested, the character of hard case uh, because this is Malibu, this isn't uh, is an image, sorry. This isn't DC, this isn't Marvel. This is one of the two big uh, producers of comic books. This is one of those imprints that was coming out in this period of time like Image that were making a go of it and trying to compete. Hardcase was one of the first heroes in this particular uh, universe, chronologically anyway. Uh, the whole idea between the heroes in the Malibu universe, there was this alien ship on the moon and it was like leaking something. And this is what was causing so many people to develop powers on Earth. And he was one of the first ones to develop the stamina and strength and all that sort of stuff. And he teamed up with a couple of people and they were going to make a super team. And they were fighting villains and then like all of them died. Uh, <laughs> he was mm. the only one left. And so you do what you do when that happens. You become an actor. Sure. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Hard case. Basically. Starring Jim Smith. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it, it's kind of it's kind of one of those things. Now, Gary Daniels is the actor that is uh, the lead role, and the other roles in this, I could not find anywhere. Um, so I'm sure they're out there, and I'll continue to dig. But at this moment, he is the only individual that I'm fairly certain was in this, <laughs> and I. There's a lot of Gary Daniels um, available. Is it? Uh, um, um, okay, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I was going to say, there's not. This was going to be very quick, and we're basically going to move on. Now, the next one will have a lot more to say. Well, okay, maybe not a lot more. We'll maybe have about another minute to say. Because in the same vein, in 1993 came Firearm. 
you guessed it, Malibu. Could only get it with the comic book. Um, now, the firearm character wasn't even a hero. It was like kind of, well, okay, let me rephrase that. Was not a powered individual. He just happened to be around stuff. And in fact, there were more than one of them. It was like kind of a off-brand cross between a nicer Punisher and a detective. No, no, you got to go with me on this one because my memory is a little wishy-washy on this. But that's that's what I remember of it. Um so the, this particular character was created by Howard uh, Chaikin and Cully Hamner uh, and artist uh, James Robinson. Uh, so these were, uh, both kind of came out in about the same time frame. There's a little more information about this particular production. You've got uh, James Jude Courtney in the lead as Alex Swan. Stop staring at me, Swan. Oh, you know this. We've actually talked about this gentleman just recently. We did a movie review where he had a prominent role, and it just happened in October. October. Um, was it scary with pumpkin It was flashing? supposed to be scary. And not so scary. Not so scary, yeah. So he was, he was in the uh, most recent Halloween as The Shadow and did a great job. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was okay. just... Uh, he's had some other roles that you may or may not recognize. Nothing really that I consider to be noteworthy for this particular conversation. But, yeah, we're going to leave that where it lies and get past the stuff that neither is, neither of us have seen and get to something that maybe, maybe Richard has seen. There's a chance, possibly. I don't think so, because I don't think you saw the previous one. Um Now, in our previous episode, when our web mistress was uh, helping us out, we talked about the first uh, of this series of movies. Um, Dollman came out uh, before this one, and this is the sequel. Dollman versus Demonic Toys. Nice. Get them. Came out in 1993. Now, this is kind of interesting. Uh, In in digging this, and I I don't think we... uh, we talked about this too much, but the, the director of this particular film, whose name is escaping me at the moment, um, has... H- Hard Case is his name. <laughs> yeah, right. He has a history of making some very odd B-movies, kind of in the horror uh, genre. In fact, uh, I think he has an entire series called Evil Bong. Uh, bong. bong, like I'm smoking an illicit substance, bong. Bong, evil bong. There were six of them. Six of them. Sure. Now, he did get Tommy Chong to be in at least one of them, I saw. But uh, it's... <laughs> this is the kind of level that we're working on uh, here. Good stuff, then. Oh, yeah. So, so as I described last, I'm just going to very briefly for Richard here. Dollman is an interstellar cop who is about 12 inches tall for some reason. Yeah, so he has a really powerful gun. He ends up on Earth. Now, the interesting thing about this particular sequel is it's not just a sequel to the movie. It is a crossover of this movie series and the Demonic Toys movie series, which oh. is a separate movie series. And a television show. Dang, that's a big deal. So yeah, it's like is like the Avengers before the Avengers. You, you know, not really. Um, so I have very vague memories of bits and pieces because I worked at a video store 
during the time that this came out. Well, not right when this came out, but not too far after this came out. So I remember seeing it on the shelves. I remember grabbing the tape. I remember sticking it in a VCR, that thing again, and being thoroughly confused and not quite understanding exactly what the purpose of it all was. But to make a long story short, the, uh, the heroic uh, hero comes back and he has found a woman that is just as tall as he is. What? And he wants her to know that she is not alone in the universe. And he has to, you know, he has to go find her. Well, the demonic toys who had been defeated in the previous movies, who were basically, uh, as the name sounds, toys infested with a demonic spirit, uh, they get loose again. And they decide that they are going to try and bring their demonic master back. And the best way they can do that is to get this 12-inch woman. And I'm not going to go into details. This isn't a child's play movie, is it? It feels very much like it, but not quite to that level. Um, it is very B-movie. I mean, and I mean that in a loving way. And at the time, I didn't have the same kind of appreciation for B-movies that I that I tended to grow to have and it's it's cheesy it's it's weird tim thomerson reprises his role uh tracy scroggins is judith um which uh kind of interesting she was in babylon 5 uh for for a good chunk that's one of her big roles the name sounds in there the part that has more interest to me at least for our conversations here is she played cat grant in the adventures of Lois and Clark. So kind of a, a nice little thing there. You've got uh, Phil Fondacaro, uh, who I love to death. Uh, he plays, I believe, the security guard in this movie, if memory serves. Um, now, Phil Fondacaro, um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm just messing up his name like I mess up all names, but if you've ever seen Willow, he was the best fighter in the village in Willow. So he's actually been in a bunch of stuff. He was in Sabrina the Teenage Witch for a bunch of episodes. Um, the Bordello of Blood. Ooh, I like that uh, He was in that. So, I mean, you know, this guy is a, has a good resume of films. Uh, it's There's really not much more to say about this particular film. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the cast is, I never like to say not noteworthy, but nothing that's particularly pertinent to my knowledge in this particular conversation. So why don't we let you introduce our fourth and final contestant for 1993. First, I want to go over the film resume of the uh, Evil Bong series. Oh, oh no. (laughs) I was just looking at this. The first one was called Evil Bong. Yes. Weird. Okay. Evil Bong 2, King Bong. Um, And then I got to go by dates here because there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of them here recently. One of them was Bong 420. Yeah, Evil Bong 420. Yeah. Um, Evil Bong High Five. Wait, I missed one. <laughs> Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bong. Uh, yeah, Evil Bong, Evil Bong 420, Evil Bong High Five, Evil Bong 666. That it, was just recently. And it was then required. Evil Bong 777 was just last year. <sighs> so, like, they keep making them. I kind of want to talk to this director now and just, I, I, I want to know things. I, I have to know things. Like, where can you get these movies from? Uh, I'm sure you can get them pretty much anywhere. But 
there has to be some source, some some origin in in his in his soul, his artistic his artistic side that says <laughs> I have a story to tell. It's about a bong that grants wishes. <laughs> That's and it's, it's, it's evil. evil. It's evil. <laughs> well, okay, so I'm sorry. It doesn't grant witches. I'm misremembering. It's um, no, it transports you to like an evil world or something. Oh, jeez. That's what it was. Ooh. It was, it was, oh, I don't know if that's any better. It's good enough that they made six of them. Uh, oh, okay, well, so let's escape the, the, the B movies that are just truly. A sight, and, and get to a B plus movie. <laughs> a B plus that may be being Ooh, too kind. Okay, yeah. So if we're doing it by our grading <laughs> scale, um, that's way too kind. Okay, so the last one from 1993 is a sequel. Yes, um, it is. Much like a lot of these movies tend to be. Anyway, uh, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. Absolutely. So we had the first one, which was the breath of fresh air. It was an amazing feat. I mean, it was still working out kinks, but you know, it was lovable. It was great. And then you had the second one where they made some questionable decisions. Even, but there were high points. There was great casting in it, and there were some good things. And even though a lot of it was not. And then there's this one. Yeah. So this is really bad. Yeah. So, so the whole plot revolves around a scepter that, when held, the other person that held it in the past at the same time, which I don't get that because it can't be at the same time if it was in the past. Now, admittedly, again, foggy, fogginess of not having yeah. seen it in a long time. At least you, you get transported back into the past or switch places or something like that. Something, yeah, just... And nonsensical. Then, now, yeah. if if my memory is correct, there was a little bit of a precedent for this in the Ninja Turtles, at least the TV show. Like, yeah. wasn't there a, a rabbit that was a samurai from, oh, yeah. from like Yojimbo? And they're, they're like, there was characters that I feel like were from, like that there was time travel that was involved in some form or fashion. Wasn't there like a Triceratops character too? I don't remember. There might have been, but I mean that was the cartoon, and it was you, you couldn't. It was a cartoon. It was a cartoon. It was cartoon. It was cartoon. This was a theatrical movie. Although I'm not certain if this one went straight to video or not. It might have. Um, I want to say that it that it didn't. I feel like this was in the movie theater. If it was, it can't have been in there for very long. Um, but oh. you, you've got uh, Coteus reprising his role as Casey Jones mm. from the first film, which is a good thing because I love that dude. Uh, Paige Turco, who was April O'Neil in the second, second one, one. Yep. came back for the third one. Uh, you've got Stuart Wilson uh, played a, a prominent role in this. Now, Stuart Wilson has been in a bunch of stuff, but I remember him most fondly from his role as Don Raphael. And The Legend of Zorro in 98. Hmm. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he had, he had a kind of a... a I see him. A nice little little shout-out. He got uh, Saab Shimono as Lord Norinaga, the main villain of the uh, of the film, uh, who I think has kidnapped April for some reason. Uh, I don't remember why, just because you need to kidnap somebody, I guess. be a bad guy in there somewhere. But uh, 
kind of interesting, this gentleman uh, was the voice for the Emperor in the Samurai Jack cartoon. Oh, Samurai Jack is great. Yeah, that was kind of fantastic. And he was Master Yu in Avatar The Last Airbender. And he was uncle in the Jackie Chan adventures for those seven people that watched that show, uh, which I was one of. I, I kind of enjoyed the uh, Jackie Chan animated series. Apparently he was in Legends of Tomorrow, too. Yeah. So he's he's been in quite a few things. Uh, he was also in The Shadow. Which mm, was, yes, the, the doctor in that one. We haven't uh, gotten to that one quite yet. Uh, Soon. Yes, very soon. Corey Feldman came back to voice Donatello yep. again. Uh, so missed the second one. Came back for the third one because... A money grab. Yeah, Maybe he just was sick for the second one. There was a scheduling conflict, something like that. And he decided that it was time to come back to voicing Donatello. I'm glad he did because I, I like Corey Feldman. Um, es- estimated or- gross for this movie in the U.S., almost $43 million. So, wow. That's a lot of money for 20 years ago in a movie. Yeah, it is. And I will clarify, I like like 1980s and 90s Corey Feldman. I really don't know modern-day Corey Feldman. I don't know his work. I have heard some of his music. And again, I don't like to disparage people, but I'm not a fan. Um, I, I will cheer him on to continue his musical career and hope it works out well. But I will, I can't, I can't listen to it. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me. Yeah, not one I'm going to be searching for on the old music streaming service. Uh, just, just as a comparison here, so if this tells you how bad this movie actually was, because a lot of a lot of times they'll base things off of uh, box office, right? Because people know because they're not going to go watch the movie. Sure. So we just said that one made forty some odd million dollars. Well, the first Turtles movie in the U.S. made two hundred and one, two hundred and two million worldwide, right? So it made a lot of mo- it made a lot of money. Yeah. Relative to the time frame. Oh yeah. And that third one just kind of. Well, you know, there there were a lot of problems. the The animation on the faces, I felt, yeah, was not it was as weird. Good. Yeah, they took the practical effects that they were that they did well and just seemingly went away from it. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't I'm know. not. I'm not sure what happened in the plot. What makes the turtles work is the urban environment, at least in in terms of the movies and the yeah. comics is a different. Completely different thing, and in the cartoons, it's a completely different thing. But the the juxtaposition of of the the strangeness of them to the kind of uh, gritty, grungy normalcy of New York is what made it work. At least yeah. for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can get into the other like. Other enemies or other, if you're going to bring in more of a supporting cast besides the Turtles and Casey Jones and, like, all those main characters, you're going to bring in other ones. Cool, I guess. Or you're going to bring another aspect to it. Stick to the cartoon, I would say. So, that was 1993. Maybe not the most... An exciting time in cinema history. Not the most lightning uh, uh, of, of years, but... Going into 1994, not only are there more titles that qualify as a comic book movie, there are a lot that would be considered higher quality by a larger number of individuals. Mm -hmm. Now, there are six 
possibly seven, depending upon how you look at it. But I'm considering one of them just an honorable mention as it's not exactly a comic book movie. And that's the one that we're going to start with. Um, and I'm not going to go into many specifics. I'm just going to mention it by name here. And it's called Cemetery Man. It came out in 1994. Now, this is very, very loosely based on a comic called Dylan Dog. Uh, now, Dylan Dog was, if I remember correctly, a Mexican comic book. Um, but it has some, in fact, there is a Dylan Dog movie that gets produced with Brandon Ruth, which we'll eventually get to. Um, but it's, it's not really um, represented in the same way in this movie. I have seen this movie twice. Uh, it, was, it was brought to me from a friend and I, I, I love it, but I don't understand it. It's, and it's not Seminary Man. No, no, no. It is, it is Cemetery Man. It is about uh, an individual who kills zombies and, and monsters, and so he tends to be in the cemetery. The linear progression of the plot in the movie isn't, and I normally really like that. I like not being able to predict things. But it's also not like one of those things where you get bits and pieces of the past and you get multiple perspectives. No, it's just odd. It is all over the place. People that die don't die. They don't explain why they don't die. They just kind of come back. But they're the same person, but they're not the same person. There's a scene that is just one iconic scene in this film. And I'm going to kind of leave it at this. What I seem to remember, as he's... Killing zombies, uh, I think with a gun, he's in the shack at the top of a hill and zombies are coming in the door and he kills them. And another one comes in and he kills it. And it, like the, the camera pulls back and there's this line of zombies, not like a horde all rushing to come in from all directions, like we're going to the DMV line of zombies, <laughs> just kind of waiting their turn to be killed. Uh, now, that's possible again. That is my age, uh, and it's been a long time since I've seen it. Maybe I dreamed that scene, but I'm pretty sure I didn't. And it's Well, there was only me. one pathway to get up there, and it was just so <laughs> narrow that only one zombie could get up at a time. No, no, it was wide open. <laughs> there was no reason to be lined up. Uh, anyway, it was, it was fun. I'll, it was not maybe uh, not like um, um, Shaun of the Dead kind of nutty, but it started edging in that direction. All right, so let's start with actually some some fully comic book movies from 1994. We're going to kind of go, again, in the same way. We're going to go with ones that may not be quite so familiar to people, and then we're going to end with some of the bigger ones. So what we will start with is uh, in 1994... There was a movie, it was a TV movie um, called Model by Day. Hmm. Now, Model by Day is a comic book that came out in 1990 by Kevin J. Taylor. Here is the premise. You've got the main character of the comic as just a, a gorgeous woman. She's a model, hence Model by Day. And during the daytime. During the daytime. And what does she do when she is not a model? She is a superhero. Who? I think she might have no powers, kind of like Catwoman-y superhero type thing, right? 
Um, I'm going off of uh, what I've read from others because I've never actually gotten my hands on this comic book. So I've seen snippets, but never the whole thing. So the whole plot of the movie is uh, somebody decides to go on a killing spree dressed as her crime-fighting alter ego. Ooh, intrigue. She has to find out who it is and stop them. Now, the fun fun part for me is uh, the lead in this, Famke Jansen. Ooh, she was a model. She was a model. In the daytime and the nighttime. Absolutely. And she has such an iconic comic book movie role on top of everything else in the X-Men films. Well, at least through a couple movies. Well, yeah. That's just kind of an interesting second comic book appearance. Hmm. Um, Now, uh, there are other uh, productions she has been a part of that I happen to love. Wasn't she in the uh, Taken films? Like... For two seconds in the first yep. one, and she's a Bond ooh, girl, also Bond girl. She was in my one of my favorite shows on Netflix, Hemlock Grove. Which did I did I tell you the? I, I'm sure I've told you about this film, and it still mm-hmm. has one of my favorite writing changes between seasons. Because like they got rid of an accent. Right? Yes, they did. Yeah. Her accent did not work at all, and so. She has her throat either torn out completely or cut or something like that at the end of the first season. She heals in the second season because she's not quite human. Uh, sorry, spoilers. Um, but in the healing process, she <laughs> she loses her accent because as one does. Perfect. It's just like the Avengers without getting your throat pulled out. You just... <laughs> <laughs> your, your accent goes away, you know? Uh, well, you know, maybe she was uh, acclimating in that instance. She was talking to local people. And, you know, when you live in the United States for two, three days, that can happen. Yeah, didn't, weren't they in, like, Dublin? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it could have happened. Yeah. Well, you know, it is what it is. So... Uh, model model by day uh, also had uh, Stephen Shellen. Now Stephen Shellen is not a name that I think will trigger most people's memories. Um, he played the uh, I believe a cop in in this particular film, but he has one of the most memorable roles in one of my favorite movies of all time. He is in A River Runs Through It. Hmm. Have you seen that one? Uh, no, but there's a phoenix that's in there. <laughs> There is a, a scene uh, where one of the individuals that's one of the main characters is trying to get on the good side of the family of a girl he likes and agrees to take uh, this uh, girl's brother out fishing with his brother. And he shows up drunk with a hooker. <laughs> it's very, very kind of an iconic scene. And he gets drunk and falls asleep in the sun nude and gets a burn and so he has to take this girl's brother back naked and sunburned to their house it it is a if you've never seen a river runs through it we often talk about comic book movies but if you've never seen a river runs through it it i highly suggest it one of my like i said one of my favorite scarrett and that is just fantastic uh brad pitt's in it if you're a brad pitt fan anyway so that gentleman, uh, very recognizable to me. You also have uh, Tracy Lind, another kind of 
name that wouldn't, wouldn't trigger for most people. But again, for one of my formative movie watching things, I watched horror movies much earlier than I probably should have. Mm. And one of my favorite series was the Fright Night series, which she was in the second one of as Alex, the love interest. Which, uh, just kind of a, if you've never seen the Fright Night series, again, fun horror movie stuff. So, uh, Nigel Bennett, who is in Forever Night as oh, kind of a... Uh, a bad guy and uh, in the shape of water uh, by M Night Shyamalan. Uh, Wait, shape of water was um, or not M Night Shyamalan? Um, Guillermo. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro. Sorry. Who also directed Blade Two, his worst movie ever. It is not his worst movie. That movie was. Uh, we're going to get to that. We are not to that year yet. We got, a, we got a few. Uh, we got a few years. Few years. Mm. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. But uh, also in Lex and Shannon Tweed was in this movie. Now Shannon Tweed was a Playboy model who went on to be an actress. She was. Um, she's married to. Well, I don't know, actually, I don't think they're actually married. Um, from Kiss, uh, Gene Simmons. Oh yeah. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. They have kids. They've been together for quite some time, but I don't think they're, they they weren't like, married for the longest time. Yeah, associated, closely associated. Yes, they had a they had a a show on like a reality show, like a lot of people did. Theirs was on some I don't remember what station it was on. They they did like five six seasons. It was, lasted quite a long. That was pretty entertaining. I liked watching that. I'm familiar with Miss Shannon Tweed. Yeah, I think she had a lot of bit parts and things like that. You you would immediately recognize her when you saw her in any particular show or movie. It's like, oh, I know who you are. That's always kind of a fun little thing. <laughs> so, okay, so we'll go from a comic that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, okay, that was probably meaner sounding than I really intended, but a lesser known comic book, let's put it that way. Um to a comic that everybody knows, but most people don't know, had a movie come out in 1994. And that is, what is it, Richard? Well, you can hear a discussion that we had with one of the main characters on that in That's one of our right. previous episodes. Thank you very much. Um, it is The Fantastic Four. That's right. We talked to Carl Chiofarlio, who played The Thing. Not Ben Grimm, but The, the Thing. thing. In that particular movie, a stuntman extraordinary and really cool, nice guy, and that was kind of fun. So um, we kind of talked a little bit about this in that episode, the fact that basically this movie was made for a million dollars, which is a ridiculously small sum of money. So just as a comparison, uh, Turtles 3 mm-hmm. that we talked about that was an awful movie, the budget for that movie was $17 million. Yeah. So this this one was made for, made with... One million dollars. Yeah, so intended to be a placeholder uh, for legal reasons, mm-hmm. uh, and the people that made the film ended up making as good a film as they could, and really, for a million dollars, made a fantastic film. Yep. Um, that just the idea was to make it and to have it go away. Yeah, and it's then it's resurfaced here in the last few years. You can find actually the whole epi- the whole movie on. The YouTubes. Now, for those of you that don't know, we're going to go through just the very basics. This is this is Jack Kirby and Stanley at their best, 1961, coming out with the Fantastic Four, um, and their first appearance is in their own book. I mean, this was intended to be the the thing. Well, well, and 
and Mr. Fantastic and all that. But you know, it was it was the the grouping that they were going to have. So if you don't know by now, I'm going to go the super abbreviated route. Four scientists, radiation, in space, superpowers. Check. Done. Done. Um, pretty simple. So amazingly enough, that's the plot they went with for the movie. Makes sense. You've got uh, Alex Hyde-White as Reed Richards. Uh, he's just been in a ton of stuff. But one of the kind of more interesting things that I saw, he was actually in Indiana Jones as uh, young Henry. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Yeah, it's uh, not really something that most people would think of. It's like, but he got to be in Indiana Jones, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, Catch Me If You Can, he was in that, you know, a handful of other things. Got Michael Bailey Smith played Ben Grimm. The human side of the, human, the thing. Before he went yeah. into space. Yeah, and he was actually Pluto and the hills have eyes. The hills do have eyes. Yeah. And Pluto is not a planet. No, Pluto is a exoplanet. gnarled individual that will eat you. Oh, we're talking about the... the okay. Yeah, yes. Well. So, if you have... Actually, he's Mickey Mouse's best friend. Yeah, right. If you haven't seen the movie, the effects are very rudimentary. They did their best with what they could do. The suit, the thing suit's actually pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, I, I was impressed with that. The, trying to do the stretching powers of Mr. Fantastic was a little cheesy. A lot of playing with uh, distance and, and camera angle and, I don't know, rubber bands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever you want to call it, doing whatever you can. But uh, I like the movie itself. It is what it is. Yeah. But the fact I think it's a whole situation that surrounds this movie that makes it that much more interesting. Yeah, um, there is a there is a documentary that is out there that you can uh, watch that is interviews with all these folks that were in the movie that helped to make the movie and like the story of getting this movie made and the hopes of. Once this movie was made, somebody seeing it, seeing it, and like elevating careers and moving things, like they didn't take it for granted. They didn't take it. They they actually worked really hard at making this movie. Yeah. Which the whole time the idea of this movie was that it was just being made to go away. So like that's like that it, it like the whole backstory of this particular movie i think is just as interesting as the fact that they did make a fantastic four movie such a long time ago yeah uh, it's just kind of a fantastic thing if <laughs> fantastic uh-huh. but uh, if you get a chance to uh, see it you probably should it, it it'll be 2 hours of uh, not even quite 2 hours of uh, just wonderful time um, okay so now let's go to something a little more recognizable to certain people but uh, maybe not something that, that Richard here has seen because, uh, well, maybe. I mean, the star power in it was enough. Maybe it was enough to get you to see it. Okay. 1994, uh, you have a small boy. He is independently wealthy. In fact, you could say he was rich. He was richy rich. Um, this was a comic book created by Warren uh, Kramer. I'm going, to, I'm going to assume Kramer and uh, Alfred Harvey uh, back in 1953. Um, so, so the whole concept, if you're not familiar, is uh, is Richie Rich literally inherited 
the largest fortune in the world, never has to worry about anything. It's just all the adventures of the trouble that he gets into and the friends that he hangs out with. It's pretty simple. It's what you would expect a comic strip would be if it had more space. I mean, that's basically what it is. And it's fun and it's lighthearted. So in 1994, who do you think you would put in the role of McCall? Oops. Uh, in the role of Richie Rich. Well, it was, was this poor kid home all by himself? On occasion, three times possibly. Hmm. Or two times, and they got somebody else to do it for him the third time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Macaulay Culkin as Richie Rich. Um, now, on an interesting note, uh, the director, Donald uh, Petrie, did Miss Congeniality and Grumpy Old Man. So this is a guy that can direct some, you know, fairly lighthearted, fun stuff. He's got the dish on that, uh, making movies. <laughs> um, so you got uh, John Larroquette yeah. as Lawrence Van Doe. What a name. Doesn't, don't like all the characters have money names? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so John Lorquette, this is a gentleman I would very much love to meet at some point and talk to. He was in a handful of, of shows and movies, and it's just so good in everything. Now, of course, most people from our time frame would know him from Night Court. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a, a Night Court uh, person when it comes to John Lorquette. Not He's been in lots of other things, though. Yeah, but he was in... Just a fantastic, um, um, a fantastic TV movie series. It was actually ten hours long, uh, called the Tenth Kingdom, um, and it was so good. I, I so much would love to see a sequel to it. And there was kind of some work on it in a few years ago. They were trying to get it to happen. I don't know if it's taken off or if it's still going or whatever. But that film, if you ever watched Once Upon a Time, that is what Once Upon a Time was before Once Upon a Time was. It's the same kind of a concept from a slightly different direction. Had a great cast, and even though it's 10 hours long, you wish it was longer when you watch it. It it was that well done. Um, So Laura Kett just brings that kind of fun and quality, I think, to anything I've ever seen him in. Um, you've got Edward Herman as Richard Rich, uh, who I will always remember as the main vampire from the Lost Boys. And I have to say, I pretty much know him as the uh, one of the main characters from the Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Not that I watched that movie, but I had plenty of people around me that watched it nonstop, incessantly. <laughs> so uh, that's that's who that's where I get my version of him from. Christine Ebersaw as Regina Rich, who was in Amadeus, as well as being in Black Sheep and The Wolf of Wall Street. As you know, she's been in a ton of stuff. Those are the ones that really kind of ring bells for me. Uh, you got Jonathan Hyde, who I I just didn't quite place my finger on at first, but he was the hunter in the original Jumanji movie and the dad, as well as being in Mummy or in The Mummy, I should say, as, uh, I believe, uh, one of the people that was trying to excavate the tombs. Uh, he was in The Strain television show more recently, uh, the movie Anaconda, uh, Titanic. I mean, so this guy's got some big, mm-hmm. big been stuff. Quite a few things. 
Michael McShane is in it. As soon as you see him, you immediately recognize him. Very, very striking individual. Uh, Chelsea Ross, who is in Major League as, uh, I think, uh, the coach, if I'm remembering correctly. Basic Instinct as the lieutenant, well, one of the cops anyway, Claudia Schiffer. And so this has got a ridiculous cast for this movie, yeah. which is why I'm really surprised I never saw it. I mean, just with having Macaulay Culkin in it, I just never saw it. I, I feel like I've seen bits and pieces of it when I was on TV, and that's about as far as I've gotten with it. Well, I mean... I'm familiar with the movie. I just haven't watched it. I haven't sat down and watched that movie. That kind of wish fulfillment was never really a thing for me. I mean, I'd much rather dream I had superpowers rather than dream I had $2 million that I could just drop at a store at a given time. You know, <clears throat> So it never really appealed. So I, don't, I think that may have been why I never watched it. Yeah. So I really don't have much to say about this. And if you haven't seen it either, then let's move yeah. on to something else. That's about <clears throat> all I have to say about that. Instead, we're going to move to one of your favorites. Mm, let's do it. That you're going to you're going to have plenty to say about this. I will have less to say, but it's still fun. If you had a large amount of water that was coming at you, and you needed to stop it, what action star would you use? Water that was coming at you. Um, oh gosh, um, Kevin Costner. No, you've got to use a dam, a Van Dam. I was just talking about Waterworld. Oh, okay. Time Cop, 1994. Now, Time Cop, uh, most people don't know, was a comic book. It's kind of one of those films yeah. that you just did, don't really think of as a comic book. Ron Randall and Mike Richardson and Mark Verheiden wrote it in 92. Um, so it's not, not a real old comic for when this particular film came out. But, man, I know this is one of your favorite films. Hmm. He does some Van Damage in this movie. No! <laughs> now, you probably remember it a little better than I do because I never actually saw this one all the way through. I've, I've, gosh, man, I watched a lot of Van Damme movies in the 90s because my friends were real big Van Damme fans. So I definitely, I definitely watched this movie. But honestly, the last time I probably watched it was in the 90s. So it's been quite some time. Um, I do know that Van Damme is very flexible, and he um, is a wonderful actor. Uh, and, yeah, they go back in time, and things happen, and then there's a... I'm pretty sure he's a police officer. Yes. And then he can't go back and do things around himself, I think. I can't remember. Yeah. It's It's been a while. I do remember, though, there's... A lot of Van Damme movies have a lot of poor ratings on them, but they're all just awesome movies. Yeah. And, and this kind of fits the mold. Like, it's not well-received critically, and it's not one of the more, like, if you do fan ratings on this, like, oh, it's this is a five-star movie. But then if you tell them, did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. So, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's one of those. Now, did you remember that, I believe it's the love interest, is Mia Sarah? Mia Sarah, yeah. So now, for those of you that are not completely familiar with who that is, she has been in quite a few different things that are very memorable. She got to be a Harley Quinn in the Birds of Prey television show, which was kind of cool. Uh, she was also in the movie Legend with Tom Cruise and, I believe, Tim Curry. Um, but the thing that most people remember her for is one of the greatest movies of all time with one of the greatest actors of all time in it. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> and 
I will maintain that that has an iconic place and is fantastic from stem to stern. There is no fat on that film. It it's has okay. Perfect casting and it's funny and wonderful and you will love it. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, that's probably why. his best work, I would say. Yeah. 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 Probably, yeah. I can't disagree with that. Um, but it's also uh, this particular film had Bruce McGill in it, who was one of my favorite actors to ever see in anything. I mean, he's not, maybe not got as many, um, as many bits that he's been in as other actors where you'll see they'll have two or 300 entries on an IMDb page. He doesn't have that number. But the stuff that he's in... You recognize the man's face every time you see him. Absolutely. So. I mean, he was an animal house. I mean, how can he not recognize him as the motorcycle-riding butch guy from Animal House or the cop from My Cousin Vinny or his his part in Lincoln or... Uh, Wolf Lake was a show that I loved, uh, as did our webmistress and... He had a great part in that at the short-lived show. Uh, he was Jack Dalton in MacGyver. I mean, that on its own is just kind of wonderful. Um, so he was in there. Gloria Rubin, I only bring up because she was uh, Sabrina in the Flash television show oh, okay. in the 90s, which is kind of cool. Uh, Kevin McNulty uh, in the most recent Fantastic Four. He's been in a bunch of stuff. In fact, we'll say his name multiple times going through all these different comic book movies. He's got he's got several entries, if I remember correctly. Keeps himself busy. He does. Um, so, if you don't remember the plot all that well, I'm not going to go over the plot because I definitely don't remember it. I'm going to assume there's time traveling, some hand-to-hand combat, probably some shooting of some firearms here and there, and then everything is saved, probably a big, big explosion at the end, and everybody lives yes. happily ever, ever after. Sounds about right. Yep. Yeah. All it needs to be, you know, for a good time, because I remembered I enjoyed the bits that I saw of it. But we're going to end. We've got two more to get through in 1994. I saved what I consider to be the best for last, or at the very least, the most popular for last. Mm. Um, let's go with probably the more popular of the two, but I like the other one better, so I want to end on that one. We're going to go with The Mask. 1994, maybe the first movie that really got people thinking about comic book movies in a slightly different way, possibly. I mean, yeah, you had the Superman films and other stuff, but this was different in the in the feel and the way that it was put together. And the fact that Jim Carrey was just becoming a megalith of just star power and craziness yeah yeah i i thought you were gonna say um in as far as the the mask it got people thinking about cameron diaz well you know i'm always happy thinking about cameron diaz she's a fantastic actress and uh, i enjoy pretty much anything that she's in but this uh, was the first one yeah so she she did a great job in this film for for such a for such a big part in, in that particular role but of course, you got your. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. You've got your original comic book was by uh, Mark Badger, and uh, Mike Richardson uh, created in 1987. Now, the big thing to understand, if you are unfamiliar with this particular comic book, is the movie resembled the comic book 
in much the same way the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie resembled the comic book. Same name. They looked the same. They had the basic idea, but it was much lighter than what the comic was. The, the comic was bloody. It was, it was really, really not uh, family-friendly, happy film material. So the, it's a fairly big change, much more towards the mischievous and much less towards the, uh, the cult killer kind <laughs> of <laughs> side of things. So no dog putting the mask on and then peeing on somebody? Uh, I don't remember that happening in the original comic book. That, uh, if you haven't had a chance to read them, there's quite a few. And and they happen over a span of quite a, quite a few years. Um, they're fantastic. All the ones that I read were always good. Um, but and you know the movie was good too for what it was. It was just you know kind of different. You had uh, talking about Animal House, and we we had in the previous one Bruce McGill from Animal House. Well, in this one, Peter Riegert, who was in Animal House, mm-hmm. was in in the in the mask. You know this kind of cross-pollination you know you got to have at least one animal house actor in your film in the 90s i think is uh, part of what it was got peter green uh, who played the uh, dorian the villain yep. in the film um most people will recognize most as being zed from pulp fiction maybe but that's true zed's dead baby that's right you got amy yazbeck uh who had a fun little part in this was maybe not as big, but I really enjoyed her and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes, and I think that's where most people will actually recognize her from. Yeah, Dracula Dead and Loving It. She had a good part in that too. She's she's very funny. Um, speaking of funny, Richard Jenny, who plays the best friend of Jim Carrey's character, uh, stand-up comedian, very big at the time. I'm not really sure what he's been doing recently. I always enjoyed his stand-up. That was always good. Mm. Um, Update. He passed away in 2007, so he hasn't been doing... Richard Jenny died? Hasn't been doing too much in the last 11 years. He's been slacking. That stinks. That would explain some things. That would be why I haven't heard anything from him. I'm I'm mildly embarrassed now. Um, Well, speaking of dead people... Um, my favorite person in that film, Reg E. Uh, Cathay. He's my favorite guy, and I can't say his name. Cathay? Cathay? All I know is when I saw him, I knew whatever it was was going to be good. Because uh, he was in the newest Fantastic Four. He was in Tank Girl. He was in the mm. Luke Cage um, show on Netflix. Yeah. and it, He's been in just tons and tons of stuff. He had a great part in House of Cards. His voice was iconic. He just was very, very cool. I mean, no matter what. I mean, he played a bank robber in the Mask movie. But uh, he was just great in everything. Yeah, that that dude's very recognizable. Um, So this was one of the first uh, comic book movie films that really opened my eyes. The plot was just so silly and so fun. And Jim Carrey had such a command of facial expression and and being able to connect with uh, the viewer. It was very easy to get kind of taken by this particular movie. Yeah, I had it on VHS. I watched it quite a bit. So um, the one there's one more character I'm going to bring out and looking through because I forgot. Uh, Nils Allen Stewart. Okay, so this was the dude in the actual 
uh, movie. And the reason that this guy looks really familiar is he's uh, he had the guns. He shot a lot of guns. Didn't do a lot of words, um, but he had ball like his his head was bald. Like, yeah, he's like there's no hair, but. When you actually saw the back, he had like one spot of hair on his back that was like a really long ponytail. Yeah, yeah, I re- I remember that. Yeah, so it's like the whole movie. Originally, I thought the dude was bald, and then like you saw him from the back, and like wait a second, he's got this little patch of hair, but it's a long pony. It, it's just weird. But he's been in a lot of things as a like a, a grunt. Well, he's always kind of something like that. I mean, with that particular handlebar mustache, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Um, so he was in, yeah, he, he's been in just tons and tons of stuff. X-Men. Yeah. Days of Future Past. So yeah, it's, uh, that was a great, that was a great movie to, to be able to be able to see kind of when it first came out and that was just kind of a fun thing. Yeah. I was, I was always a big Jim Carrey fan. Um, certain movies of his that people love, I don't love, but the mask was definitely one that I watched yeah. a lot. So I was going to originally describe what the character was about, but if you haven't seen The Mask by now, I'd be very surprised. Even even people that have, were born well after the movie was made have to have seen it by now, I have to expect. Yeah, I would imagine so. So we're going to move on to my favorite film of 1994 that was a comic book film. Uh, tonally, uh, it, was, it was fantastic. I have seen it many times. Many times I have it mostly memorized. I think uh, also owned this one on VHS, and I assume that you probably were were a fan of it too. Oh yeah, so, uh, the soundtrack. I mean, the soundtrack uh, itself was so good, killer. The, the the soundtrack. There's a lot. There's a few key things I think that helped push me in certain directions when it came to music. The single soundtrack was one. The Crow soundtrack was another one. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. So the Crow was a, a comic book that came out in 1987 by James O'Barr. And it was another one that was very stylistically different in terms of, um, in terms of how it looked. I mean, you, you look at Marvel and DC stuff, and a lot of it tends to follow a certain pattern. Um, and you sometimes get some artists that put their own little stamp on things. But it had a very different look, not just in the, in the art, but in the presentation and, and all of that. So if you have not seen this, I'd be very surprised, but I'll very briefly encapsulate the character. The crow is not an individual person, necessarily. It is someone who has been resurrected to right a wrong, and they are essentially invincible with some few exceptions, uh, but they're not infallible, and their whole purpose is to just to get justice for whatever it is. Um, very, very dark, very broody. Like you're saying, that 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 soundtrack, Machines of Love and Grace was on it, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, Rollins Band. Rollins Band, yep. I mean, uh, Pantera. I think Pantera was on it. Was Pantera on there? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm, I'm remembering that. I could be wrong on that one. But uh, My Life with a Thrill Kill Colt. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just, just so, so good. And it's... And the funny thing is, I didn't love everything that all those bands put together. In fact, there are several bands in there that there's maybe only one or two tracks that I liked that they had. But that CD, every track was fantastic. The Cure, Nine Inch Nails. Oh, that that beginning, because The Cure started the thing off. That had Rage Against Machine in it. Yeah, so there was a lot of... 
just killer. Yeah, yeah. Fourteen, and fourteen songs of awesomeness on there. So. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Even the was it Cyberry, uh, the can't rain all the time. She's mm-hmm. the one that did that. Yep. Yeah, and even that that it is the perfect song to put in that spot. It could not have been a better choice, a better better uh, song to put there because it's like, oh, I kind of want to cry now. But uh, Helmet, one of my secret bands, I really like from that time frame too. Yeah. So okay, so you've got on top of that, it's it's not only an interesting idea and a really well adapted movie, but it has one of the most tragic bits of history in filming uh, to ever stick in my memory because I was such a fan when I was a younger kid of Bruce Lee uh, just as a martial artist and you know he died so young and then Brandon Lee his son started kind of following in his footsteps and and making movies martial arts movies he had a couple that had been out before this that were really very solid yeah they were they were kind of building up right because he did um Oh, Rapid Fire. There was another one that he did. Uh, wasn't he like a twin? Did he? Or maybe that was Rapid Fire. Yeah, it was, it was something like that. But he had a couple, and they were they were solid. They were maybe not amazing, but they were good starting points. And it was very clear he was going to be amazing in everything he was going to be in. And this was going to be the role that was going to break him out, and everyone would know who he was going to be, and then he gets shot on set. Yeah, there was... Gosh, what what was it? They you could read the story about how it actually happened, and it wasn't it wasn't obviously intentional by no. any stretch. And what is actually loaded in the gun that gets shot by is actually not a full like it's not a full load. It's not designed no. to. It, it's not a regular uh, round. It's actually it's the wrong thing that ended up in there. Yeah. But it was powerful enough that it killed him. It's, uh, that's just tragic. But we're going to move on from that because that will make me sad now. Um, But but, it wasn't even done. Like, the movie wasn't even done filming when it happened. No. So they had to, I mean. Scramble. They had to scramble to get camera angles and certain types of things in place that in 1994 wasn't like you can do now, which you can just put someone's face on a body or de-age people. Like it wasn't something that you could just do. So they had to work with what they had to finish filming certain segments um, of people maybe in angles or shadows that were just body doubles. And they dubbed over some of the voice stuff that he had recorded previously to blend everything together. Yeah. Now, one of the high points of that, you got Ernie Hudson. Uh, in uh, in, the, in mm-hmm. one of the roles as a cop, uh, most people will know him from Ghostbusters, but somebody that's just very likable whenever you see him in anything. Uh, you got Michael Wincott as Top Dollar, which, by the way, fantastic name for uh, a villain. Yeah. But uh, did you know that he did the voice for the Prophet of Truth in Halo 2? I did not, but it sounds right because he's got like that throaty raspy voice that's just perfect for that type of that type of um like animation i know that it's a game but it's the same concept where yeah. you're you're just speaking a whole bunch of lines and you get paid to do it you got uh, Biling as micah uh, the sister who had the not quite 
good relationship with the brother, uh, <laughs> who is Rhea and Crank for people that may need a more recent uh, example of who she is. You got Anna Levine as Darla, who I saw when I was much younger. Um, when I was young, my parents did not understand what movies to take a young child to that they would enjoy. So they would take me to things like On Golden Pond, which would bore any eight-year-old to tears. Uh, or, you know, great Classic movie. cinema. It's a great movie, but not for a kid. But they also take me, let's go see Desperately Seeking Susan. Madonna has somebody that's maybe a twin. Do I look like I care about Madonna as a kid of that age? I hadn't gotten to the point where I really understood music to the same level and liked it. But this uh, nice lady was in that film as as the lead. So that's kind of a kind of an interesting little thing. I got to see her when I was uh, younger in that particular instance, but she was also in True Romance for some people that want maybe a, a more recognizable uh, role. You've got David Patrick Kelly as T-Bird, who was in K-Pax and both the old and the new Twin Peaks television shows. Uh, Michael Massey as Fun Boy, who was in Catwoman. Boo. <laughs> and uh, both amazing Spider-Man movies. Meh. Uh, <laughs> John Polito, you know, who's in everything. everything who is, and I'm glad he's in everything because he's kind of awesome. Uh, so I mean, just great cast, uh, even, and even the ones that I haven't mentioned. I mean, they're they're iconic in 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 their roles. Well, you know, I think with this, it had a lot of people that you recognized, kind of recognized, didn't recognize, um, but it had a different vibe to it. it had a different look to it. Um, it was filmed in such a way that it just didn't look like any other movie now the action scene i think one of the big things that i remember about it is that it had a act like these action scenes but it really didn't no. like the, there are action scenes in this movie there's just a handful and but you you almost think of this as an action movie like it's it's disguised as an action movie really but it, but it's not um there's just honestly a few things um when they're throwing knives at each other and he catches it and throws it back you know, yeah. it's kind of like um, almost like one of the most recognizable scenes. It was in a lot of the trailers, too. Um, Where he catches it with his hand in the wrong way <laughs> and pulls it out. Well, that, laughing. that too. Yep. Yeah, that that was pretty I, iconic. I remember that one because that, that, that's one of the spots where the, the CGI, the... the Practical effects in that one are kind of... Don't age very well. Yeah. But, you know, for the time, it was pretty good. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the scene uh, where he's fighting the entire group of them in the club. Yeah. That's just fantastic. Getting shot up, but he's shooting everybody too, so... Yeah, it's uh, there. There's there's so much good in it. The the bird's eye view bits that they did. It's constantly dark. It's constantly rainy. For those people that are brooding teenagers, this was the perfect movie. Yeah. And when it rains, and I always say it can't rain all the time, and nobody around me has any idea what I'm talking about except for me. <laughs> from this movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I wish. I wish they made a, a sequel for this. That was good. 
They made like five sequels to this thing, man. Yeah, they did. That's why I added that that was good onto it. Um, which, which we will get to here. We will definitely get to. Uh, and you know what? I'm probably being really unfair to that just because I loved Brandon Lee where he was going and what are you going to do? Yeah, it was a it was a precedent that was set one, but then a a return or like an expectation that just couldn't be met. Mm-hmm. No matter what you did for the for the sequels for this movie, you're in a real difficult position going forward and everything that you made. So hopefully you heard some movies that you were already familiar with or even if you didn't uh, maybe uh, found some that you now are kind of curious about to give a watch. Several of these are really good and several of these are not, but it's just fine (laughs) because even the ones that are not are good, if that makes sense. You should watch them, even if if they are not what you would consider to be up to the level of what we're watching now. Uh, But give us your opinions. We've got a forum on the website. If you watch some of these and one was a favorite, did we miss one in in the 93, 94 range? I don't think that we did, but I love to be proven wrong. Um, let us know or contact us via our Facebook at Pudding Guys or our Twitter at Real Pudding Real Guys. Pudding guys. Uh, we are constantly on one of those two. Uh, so, you know, we would love to hear what you think. But until next time, we'll come back with you in 1995 and we will keep getting more and more movies and get mm-hmm. some really interesting stuff. There's so many. Yeah. 